0: Irishman stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on The Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is a show where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. And today I want to start by talking to you and highlighting the reasons why your system of government is exceptional. Why you are fundamentally, not my opinion, but factually different to every other system of government that has ever existed and exists today. Because to understand this, you have to understand the Constitution and your founding fathers and the Declaration of Independence. Because every other system of government, whether you want to talk about democracy, whether you want to talk about monarchs, whether you want to talk about empires or dynasties or oligarchs, they all are built on the same set of principles. And that principle is, there is no limit to government. It's, hey, I have the power, I can do anything I want. Even in democracy, you have this principle where you can have a system of government where a party runs and they run, let's say, let's just make us give a simple example. They run on tax cuts or they run on giving more benefits to education and people go, yeah, we need to do that. We need tax cuts and better education and you vote that party in and they have a term of office. But that drastically can change. They may give you tax cuts. They may give you, you know, better education, but they also might do like climate change. They may do different policies on foreign policy. And you don't get a say in that. You've got to wait till the next election because there is no limit on their power. The fundamental principle of American exceptionalism, of the Constitution, is there is extremely big limits on the federal government. The fundamental difference is why you're exceptional is because you did things differently to every other nation at your founding. Every other nation at their founding said, at the person at the top, whether it's a king or a dictator or a president or a prime minister, said, I will have these powers. These are mine. And then it trickled down to the next level of government, maybe a Congress or a Parliament. And they said, I will, will you, we will have XYZ powers. And then whatever was left went to the local government. You are exactly the opposite. Because you didn't come together as a country and and form and say, well, this is the way we're going to do things. You came together as 13 colonies and said, no, no, we will have the power. We are 13 colonies uniting to form the United States of America. We will give the federal government this amount of power, which is Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution. There's 18 clauses there. Everything else is left up to the states. But you're also fundamentally different because your founders understood where their power came from and the real role of government because you see every other nation even i'll use ireland and europe would say the power comes from the people when they when i ask questions like how does the government get this power well we all had elections and we voted for these people even if you didn't vote for the party that has power you took part in the democratic process that gives them carte blanche to do what they want that is where they get their power or if you're a king or a queen, you get the power from well, i'm I'm of noble blood. I, I have I'm superior to you. I come from this family, this lineage. My family is naturally better than yours. That's where my power comes from. Your profounder said, no, 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 we don't have royal blood. We don't have lineage. We don't have this hereditary thing where well, my father was king, so I'm king. No, we don't do that. But we also don't do where you get a vote and then guess what, you can do anything you want. Now the power resides in the Constitution because your principles are the principles of nature's law and nature's God. But it also goes so much further than that because your people are different, the way you see things, the way you look around at the world than every other set of people in the history of the world. Because you look at a societal problem in Ireland the answer is always the same. The answer is never, let's let's not look inward. Let's not look and go, hey, what can I do to fix this problem? The answer is, what's government gonna do? Oh, we have homelessness. Oh, we have all these people living on the streets. Most people might go, well, Why don't we help homeless people? Let's let's go give those homeless people some food. Let's go help them. How can we make society better? Hey, what can we as our church do? Can we can we you know maybe give some homes to them? No, we won't do that. What we will do is, why isn't government fixing this homelessness problem? Why why are we having all these news reports of all these people living on the streets? Why why isn't government getting its act together? Like I pay my taxes, I vote for them, I vote them into power. They gotta fix these problems. That's just one example, but it's time and time again, if there's a problem in society, what's government doing? What way do you think the world should operate as a healthy human society? Should we, when we see a societal problem, go, what's government doing or what are we doing? Because I don't like using this word, but I can't find a better word for it. When you live in Ireland, when you live in Europe, there's this inherent laziness. And I know that's not the best word, but it's the only word I can come up with that says, I just pay my taxes. You deal with those problems. And I'm sure you see that over here as well, where people are just going, I pay my taxes, I work hard, I, I have all my problems in my life, I, I work 40, 45, 50 hours a week, I have pro- I have issues at home, you know, I've got kids, and they have their schooling, and I have, you know, pre- you know to, to spend time with friends, and I have to spend time with my wife or my husband, I just don't have time to worry about that stuff, you deal with it, just, you, just take the problems away. And yes, if it means paying more taxes, I'll, I'll do it. Just, just don't bother me with all these problems that I can't deal with. And then what happens? Tyranny starts to come in. I want to talk to you about some stories around the world today. I want to talk to you about a story in England, in Ireland, and in your home country, America. Because we need to define what the role of government is. If you disagree with me and you say, you know what? The founders are wrong. We need to do more. Okay, let's have that discussion. I'll fundamentally disagree with you, but let's have that discussion. Let's actually talk about substantive issues. Because I've been in your country all week. I'm I'm home. It's amazing to be here. Your country is amazing. Your people are amazing. I've spent time with some friends. I've hung out. But what has been really annoying is anytime I turn on the radio, anytime I turn on TV, it's the same issue. Let's impeach Donald Trump. Oh my God, did you see what Donald Trump did? And then, of course, you have people defending him. This is a nothing story, but yet everyone is talking about it. Now, I understand there's a need to offer defense for the impeachment BS that the Democrats are putting forward, but we are getting caught up in the weeds. Is this really a big story or will this be a story that's gone in two weeks or three weeks? Because there are big issues that we need to discuss. We need to define the role of government and make the case for why the American system of government is superior, is exceptional, is unique, and yes, I will say, is better than every other nation. There are people within your government, within your media, who are like, we need to be more like Sweden. You need to be more like Europe. The answer to that is not going, screw you. While that is tempting, we need to articulate in the clearest possible fashion saying, no, we do not. We do not need to be a democracy. We do not need a democracy project. We do not need to be like Europe. What America needs is to be more like Americans' founding fathers, to follow those principles. And to make the case for why your founding documents, your Declaration of Independence, your Constitution, your Bill of Rights are the greatest documents man has ever written. We need to offer a defense for it. We need to offer a defense in words and actions and deeds of why they are superior. during today's show, if I say something that annoys you or you agree with me, engage with me on social media, I love hearing from you. I'm on Twitter, Freedom Disciple, on Facebook, Jonathan Dunn 58. I love talking with you, either it's in public or private. You guys are awesome. So the first story I want to share with you is from the United Kingdom. So we have to have honest conversations about what is a problem in society. And the first problem is, In the UK right now, they're saying, Oh my God, obesity is the biggest problem. We must deal with it. We must stop it. People are getting too fast. Oh my God. Now, the reason they can say this and the reason the government has a role in this. First off, I'd say to you, who gets to decide if obesity is a problem? Who gets to decide? Well, the reason that there's a public discourse and the reason the government is involved in this is because they will always hide their arguments under the NHS. They will go well. You know what? All this obesity and the reason it's a problem—it's not because people are going to die or pe- pe- people are living unhealthy lives. No, the problem is, you see, obesity is this epidemic, and you need more healthcare when you need obesity. And what you effectively are is you're a burden to the taxpayer. So we need to get you to eat healthier and stop being such a cost burden to society. Now, the answer to that might be if you hear that kind of go. Well, the answer then is simple, right? It's not obesity, the problem is it's the NHS. Maybe let's have some private healthcare. Maybe if you wanna be obese and you cost the society money, let's cost you money, not the society. Let's not have government-run healthcare because government-run healthcare is not run efficiently. I can say this, I live under a country that has government-run healthcare. It's horrible. You wanna know what's really good in Ireland? It's the private healthcare. You get treated really quickly. You don't get waiting lists. But what they have in this society is they go, you know what we need to do? If let's say you agree obesity is a problem, and I'm not saying it's not, how do you solve it? How do you solve it? How do you solve it? Do you encourage people to lose weight? Do you inspire them to lose weight? Or do you try and punish them for doing things they shouldn't do? As someone who has struggled with weight their whole life, I can tell you the best way to solve obesity is to get people more active. It's to get people to want to be a better tomorrow, to want to be better, better, more healthier, stronger. But you do it through encouragement because a lot of people don't think they can do it. It's, oh, I'll never, I'll never lose weight. Yeah, you can. It will take work. It will take sacrifice, but you can do it. We can motivate people. We can encourage people, you know, to, hey, don't eat a bar of chocolate, have an apple. You do it through encouragement. But sadly in in Europe and in England and in every other nation, it's a case of, no, let's just punish people. So what they did last year was they went, you know what? The reason we have this obesity crisis is people are drinking too much soda. People are drinking too much pop. We, We need to stop this. We need to punish people. If you drink soda, you're bad, 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 bad person. You cannot drink soda. But we can't ban it. We can't outlaw. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to put a tax on it. We're going to put a tax on it. So every time you drink a can of soda, you are not, you're paying more for the soda because of a sugar tax. But you see, that didn't solve the problem. It's always amazing. The more the plans fail, the more the planners plan. It's almost like, you know, they have all these things. They go, you know, we have this plan to end obesity. Let's just put a sugar tax. And then the sugar tax doesn't work. And they'll come up with another plan. And they'll come up with another plan. And all these plans will fail. Because ultimately, all it ever seems to do is enrich the government. Whether it enriches them through taxes or enriches them through power. So they're now going, you know what we need to do? There's this group for, I think it's a healthier tomorrow it's called, and they said, you know what we need to do? You know, soda is great. We should tax soda, but it's not enough. We need government to do more. So what they're calling for now is effectively an 8% tax on cakes, biscuits, and processed food. Let me give you an example of what this will do. And it's, it seems minuscule in the attempt, but if you, I want you to think of someone who's living on a very fixed income. You know the tub of Ben and Jerry's? That costs around £3, which is the equivalent of about $4.50, $5, depending on exchange rate. With the new tax, it will cost £3.24p. It's 24 pence. Now, a lot of people, this is the argument that you'll get, but John... It's 24p. Why are you so outraged? It's 24p. It's not that big of a deal. This is the most economic illiterate argument I have ever heard. Because you do not understand basic economics if you make this argument. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. It's fundamentally true. Because everyone assumes everyone has loads of money. You know who's always disproportionately affected by these things? it's the one group of people who the the group and the media and the government will always say they're trying to defend they always have their best interests at hearts it's the poorest people in society you see if you're a millionaire or billionaire you know those evil capitalists 24 p to it's 24 pence big deal if you are living on minimum wage if you like have disposable income of maybe 20, 30 pounds a week to feed your kids, to give your kids a treat, 24p on one item is a lot of money. It's 24p on the ice cream. It may be 10p on a pack of biscuits. It may be 20p on something else. If you are the poorest in society, that disproportionately hurts you. It affects your living. It affects your kids. So I love these people that go, oh, we're for the poor. You know, it's, it's the rich that's the problem. We need to help the poor. And then they come out with policies like this that hurt the poor. But also it's basic economics because you have, whether you're rich or poor, whether you earn minimum wage or you earn 10 billion pounds a year, you have a certain amount of disposable income after you pay your bills after you pay your mortgage after you pay your light your heat maybe your health care all the bills you know you need to pay you have a set of disposable income that's what you spend on you know a bit of fun you bring your kids out to the park you bring your kids to the movies you buy a popcorn maybe you have date night with your wife now obviously it's at different standards because of your income but that is your disposable income what you're doing if you have a tax is you're eating into that disposable income because that tax now goes to government and government spends it in its infinite wisdom. If you didn't have that tax, you would spend it on other things. And that creates jobs. I love these people who wanna talk, you know, socials. we need a fairer tomorrow, we need a brighter tomorrow, we need to create jobs for a 21st century. You want to create jobs? Then stop taxing people. Stop trying to find new and unique ways of taking money from people under the guise of, we're doing it for your own good because you're just so fat, you don't know what you're doing. But if we make it more taxes, you will stop buying the Ben and Jerry's. That's the first story. Is it the role of government to stop obesity? That's what I'd ask you. Story two is from Ireland. So, unless you've been living under a rock, you you know the United Nations met this week. Yeah, United Nations, let's solve all the world's problems. Let's, you know, let's stop the sea levels rising. Let's stop climate change. Let's get all those evil gas guzzlers. Well, the Irish Prime Minister gave a speech. The Irish Taoiseach is his actual title, but in English it's Prime Minister. This is a Prime Minister who ran... On a a few things. But the main thing was he runs in a party. Let me give you an example. He runs the Republican Party in Ireland. He doesn't. It's called Fianna Gael. There's another party in Ireland called Fianna Fáil. They're the Democrats, shall we say. He ran basically saying, We're not them. They had their chance. They had power. And guess what they did? They had all these fiscal policies. They spent all this money. They did all these things. And it ultimately led to Ireland going bankrupt and needing to be bailed out. Let's not be them. Let's run a different way. And everyone went, you know what? Fianna Fáil sucks. Let's give them power. Because they're the only two choices, realistic choices in government in Ireland they've won a couple of elections and in fairness they've done certain things i don't agree with them but the economic output has been really good in ireland ireland's has recovered from the economy from the economic recession but here's the thing he didn't run on this policy but this week in the united nations he just made a statement you know what ireland because of climate change because we're so concerned about our future because we need to have a brighter better tomorrow Yeah, guess what? We're no longer going to approve permits to drill for oil around all of our coastline. Our Ireland's history with oil is done. Now, that sounds like great. That sounds really good to appease climate people. Oh my God, Ireland, it's such a progressive nation. Ireland's relationship with oil is done. Wow, we should be more like them. It's not done. We're just going to import it. We're still going to use... We're going to still use gas. We're still going to use oil. We're still going to use all the fossil fuels. We're still going to have cars. It's just, we're not going to drill for it. We're just not going to contribute to the oil environment. We're done. Now, let's just think about this. Let's just think about this power. He did not run on this. This was not part of his platform. But because he's part of a democracy, guess what? He can do it. We live in a democracy. They have the power. When you have a democracy... They have the power. They can do anything they want. There is no limits on the government. The only limit that they would say is if you're really angry about a policy, is you can call, try and call a general election and you hope another party, i.e. Fianna Fáil in this case, is so angry that and so outraged by that policy that they will win an election and then they can overturn it. But here's the problem with Irish politics, and with English politics, and my fear for US politics, it's become so bland, so the same, that no, other, no one in their right mind would run in Ireland and go, you know what we're going to do? Leo Varadkar, the Irish Prime Minister, said, our relationship with oil exploration is done. We need to overturn that. We need oil exploration. We need it for the tax dollars. We need it for the jobs that it'll create. We need to pay our fair share when it comes to creating oil. No one would ever do that. Because we have so bought the climate hysteria. We have so bought this role that it's government's job to fix the climate. Whether there's a problem there or not, whether there's a big problem or a small problem, it's government's job to address it. And in everyone's mind, that is exactly what the Irish Prime Minister has done. He has done his job, he has addressed the issue. Guess what? The people have no say. Is that a government that you want? The reason I'm giving this as an example for democracy is because this is why your principles, the way your government is set up is so much better than every other nation. Because you have this idea. I know you don't practice it very much, but you've got this incredible idea called federalism, where the federal government doesn't have this power. It may want to do it. It may say, you know what, we can't have this oil expiration. But because you're set up in a federalist system where you are 50 states now, like 13 colonies, where that is where the real power is. If a state like California said that, no more oil, okay, cool. Well, then you can have it in Texas. And that but is where all the oil is. That is the great system about federalism. The principle that your founders understood that said, listen, government should be limited, but there is a role for government. And where that role is, it should be as close to the people as possible. It should be at the state level. It should be at the local level. And the federal government is limited in what it can do. Ireland doesn't have that system. Our local politicians have no power. They discuss baloney stuff. Oh, you know, there's a light broken on a road. Will we fix it or will we not? Oh, the grass hasn't been cut here in a while. Will we? Can we organize someone to go and cut the grass? Yes, by the way, our government, our local government, cuts the grass outside our homes because we're too lazy to look after the, the grass outside of our own property. We now get the government to do it. How awesome is socialism, by the way? But this is why America is exceptional. This is why I am so passionate about reminding you about your frame of government. But now I want to tell you a third story, which comes from your country. So New Orleans, a great state. A great city with a lot of history over the last 20 years, good and bad. Louisiana, a great state. Well, in New Orleans one out of every seven people has an arrest warrant and that is causing as you would imagine there's a lot of people who live in new orleans it's causing the system to you know have a few issues and what is one of the proposals that they're seriously discussing down there right now let's just wipe the whole slate clean let's just say anyone who has an arrest warrant boom you don't have it anymore let's just clean the system is this the role of the government because I believe in the the founder's view of government that it is your the government's job to protect your rights. You have, that is their sole job. They are We are the stewards of the rights, but we have government and we elect government to protect our rights to ensure no one infringes upon them. Now, here's some of the facts and figures about what's happening in New Orleans. So one out of every seven people has an arrest warrant. Now, a lot of these are minor non-violent crimes with no jail sentence. The reason that they have an arrest warrant on their name, on their record right now, is because they had this non-violent crime. They had a court date and decided not to show up. They decided not to pay the fine, and that automatically triggers an arrest warrant. 40%, roughly, of these arrest warrants are for people who have obstructed a public passageway or have trespassed. 6% 6% of those crimes have involved a battery and domestic abuse. Now, here's the question that, here's the debate I think we need to have about this. What about, how is this a fair system? This is kind of similar to your immigration policies right now, where it's just like, let's just let everyone in. You're having a two-tier justice system. And is that fair and is that right? So let me give you an example. Imagine you had a, a non-violent issue with the state, you know, let's say, I don't know, you did something wrong. And it's like you maybe you fished without a license. Let's just give you that as an example. And then you said, Oh, you got caught. You went to your court date and they said, Right, you fished without a license. Very, very bad boy. Don't do that again. And you got a fine. I don't know how much the fines are. Let's say it's a hundred dollars. And you pay your fine. You're a good citizen. And then you see Joe Bloggs who lives down the road from you. And you know this because you've seen him fish at the same place as you do. And you know he doesn't have a license. And then he didn't turn up for his court appearance. And then this policy gets passed. You paid your $100. You, you took the time out. Maybe you had to take time off work. Maybe you had to get someone to mind your kids. You had to turn up to court and you paid your fine. Joe Bloggs said, ah, I can't be bothered. And then this policy gets passed. How is that a fair and equitable system? And the, is the government doing its job where you, did, you were a good citizen, you followed the law, After you got caught, he didn't. Yeah, he you had to pay the fine. He doesn't. But also this idea where we just carte blanche just give amnesty, because that's what this is. It's a law amnesty. What about the six percent of people who were had domestic abuse? Imagine having someone in your family suffer domestic abuse, and then you call the cops and they're in a system and there's an arrest warrant out for the person who did the abuse, and you see this policy. Would you feel aggrieved? Would you feel bitter? Would you feel angry at your government? Would you feel government has protected your rights? Or would you feel government has let you down? Just because the system is a burden, just because the system is overburdened and has a lot of problems. Why is it always amnesty? Why is it always, let's just, you know, all those people who broke the law, let's just let them off. It's like with immigration. Oh, there's so many people. You'd never, the are times people say to me, look, I get your story, but John, let's be realistic. There's 12 million people. By the way, there's a new report out. It's actually 22 million people. There's a new census out. You'll never deport 22 million people. Do you know how many planes and boats that would take? Oh my, it would just never happen. It's not realistic. Why is it just because it takes a lot of work and it burdens the system? It's automatically, let's just find the easiest way out. How about we have a system where we look at the system and kind of go, hey, if you fish without a license, is it a crime? How about we actually remove some levels of government? How about we say this, this radical idea, I know that I'm just using this as an example. Hey, um, um, how about we don't have, you don't need a license to fish? How, how about that? How about we actually have that discussion? How about we, you know this principle of limited government? How about we actually work to reduce the level of government? That you don't have politicians constantly seeking an election to go to DC or go to the local state house to pass all these laws and then when people break the laws, it causes a burdened system to the justice system where it's overdone because all these people don't turn up and then there's arrest warrants. How about we actually reduce the laws? How about we have this idea called... What's that word again? What's that, oh that word, oh yes, what's that? Oh yes, freedom and leaving people the hell alone. We need to have these discussions and we're gonna continue to have them on this show. As always, a new show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern We're on every major platform out there. SoundCloud, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play Music, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, CastBox, OmniFM. You name it, we're there. Search for Freedom's Disciple. Please subscribe. Also, if you happen to listen on iTunes, please leave us a rating and review. It helps the algorithm. It helps us new people find our show. It helps us get a new message out there, a message of why America is an exceptional nation. And I can't do that without your help. So I want to talk to you... And I want you to please forgive me for what I'm about to say, because what I'm about to say is going to make me sound like a rabid conspiracy theorist. And if you have another theory on this, I'd love you to let me know. So if you remember correctly, a couple of months ago, I did a special on the economy. And a big part of that special was focused on Deutsche Bank. I had some concerns. And one of the things I spoke about in that that show was the technical analysis, which is how people look at stocks and, you know, there's certain Fibonacci levels that you hit. And I said, if Deutsche Bank goes to $5.80 a share and it breaks it, there's no other stop. It could literally go all the way to zero, and then it would maybe go bankrupt, and then that would cause a major economic impact in Germany, and with all the derivatives they have, 50 trillion worth of derivatives, that would have contagion, and no one knows where that will spread. Will it spread in Europe? Will it spread in Asia? Will it spread in America? And that type of asset, that type of bank, Deutsche Bank is so huge. It is Germany's biggest bank by a country mile. It's bigger than the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth banks in Germany combined. That's how dominant it is in Germany. Well, I've been watching it, even though when I was going through the summer, when I was going through my own issues, I was watching it and looking at what was happening. Now, 580 is the limit of what it had to hit. And if it broke it, it was going to be in trouble. Well, it came pretty close to it. It got to $6.44 and ever since it hit that dollar price of 644 it's gone up it spiked all the way to eight dollars 45 a share this is what i can't figure out and this is why i'm going to sound like a conspiracy theorist but i've always been honest with you what happened at 644 a share that people went i gotta get me some deutsche bank Like, if you Google Deutsche Bank, you will see bad story after bad story after bad story after bad story after bad story. story. It's the, the press of Deutsche Bank is horrible, whether it's the links to, you know, Nazi Germany, whether it's the failed merger with Commerce Bank, whether it's their offices getting raided. We went through all this in the show. If you didn't listen, it was a couple of months ago, it was about economic warning and Deutsche Bank is big in that. But what is it that all of a sudden happens? that it became such a buy that people went, I got to have me some Deutsche. Because let me give you some of the figures that really, you know, are obvious. Their ratings report in June revealed these figures. Their revenue is down 6.97%. Their net income is down 983%. And their net profit margin is down 1049%. Those are, I don't care how economic, you know, illiterate you are, or you may like, I don't care about economies. I know nothing about the stock market. I want to know nothing. I don't know anyone who would say that and would look at those figures and kind of go, that sounds okay. No, those figures sound horrible. Who, what stockbroker is going to their client? Can you imagine your stockbroker? How does that conversation go? Yes, hello, this is your stockbroker here. I, I have a buy for you. I have a great buy, it's an exciting buy. Oh, what is it? It's Deutsche Bank. Oh, well, tell me more about them. Well, I don't really have good things to say about them. You know, they had a failed merger, but don't worry about that. And yes, they had their offices raided, but that, that's just big government. That's just fake news. Oh, okay, well, what are their figures? Yeah, well, their revenue is down nearly 7%. Their income is down 983%, and their profit margin is down 1,000%. But definitely buy it. This is a great buy. Do you like go click after your stockbroker has that conversation with you? Are you, are you excited? Are you like, yes, Deutsche, it's the future. Buy me some Deutsche. Get me Deutsche. Get me all the Deutsche Bank you can get. What's happening? I have a feeling something is brewing and they're propping it up. Now, I don't know whether this is government, whether this is fellow banks, whether this is stockbro. I have no idea. And this is why I, I'm sharing this with you. If you have another theory of what happened that made Deutsche Bank share, please share it with me because I'm desperate to find answers. I'm asking everyone I know, why would this happen? I'm trying to figure it out. But here's what leads me to believe there may be something to the story of it's been propped up because they, everyone knows this system is not good. Everyone knows there's problems in the financial system and they're just propping it up because they want to pa- pa- pass that book down the road just a bit more. They want the good times because the economy is good. They want to enjoy those good times a bit more. And what leads me to believe this is a story that came out last week about the U.S. government. Every time I did that show and every time I mentioned Deutsche, this is the common theme I get from people who answer me. John, I get your concern for Deutsche. It's a real concern, but it's in Germany. Look at what's happening in America. Our banks are stronger than ever. Our economy is awesome. Just look at the bank's stock prices on the stock market. Everybody's up. Even you highlighted this how great the stock price was for Citibank and JP Morgan. Our banks are solid. Are they? Because last week, the US government that was announced have effectively, why they didn't use this word, this is what it is. They have launched another series of TARP. It is the first series of TARP in 10 years. Because right now, your Federal Reserve is giving money and loans to US banks. And it's not giving small amounts. I love how America, you know, America is so different and it's so unique. You know, if you say an amount of money in America or, and in Ireland, the reaction will be different. If you say $1 billion in Ireland, we're like, wow, that's a lot of money. You saved a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. You say that to the US government, <laughs> it's a billion dollars. We, we borrow that in like two seconds. It's a billion dollars. It's nothing. It's great that you have this sense of how exceptional and unique you are, but when it comes to money, it's kind of scary how far from reality so many people are. A billion dollars is a lot of money. Your government, uh, last Tuesday, gave $105 billion on two different occasions. Between last Tuesday and last Friday, it gave a combined total of $278 billion. But that's not the end of it. The Federal Reserve has committed to give $75 billion every working day till October 10th. Now, let's have a conversation about that. Is that healthy? Is that a sign of the banks are stable? Is it a sign that there is problems in the banking system? And why is that? Because you look around at the economy, you look around at the economic numbers, a lot of them are pretty good. Why are the banks having problems? What's going on under the surface? What's going on that's making this happen? Why is their cash flow so bad? Now, here's the other question that we need to answer. Now, sadly, the precedent, and that's such a big legal term in America and around the world today, has been set. But if banks are having problems, is it the role of the Federal Reserve and the federal government to bail them out? Now, we all sadly know this answer because only Iceland and a few other smaller countries said, no, it's not. The US government goes, well, they're too big to fail. Why would you want the banking system to collapse? It would lead to catastrophe. We have to bail them out. The same with the auto industry. Because you're starting to see the auto industry have problems. UAW are going on strike. What's happening underneath the surface? Some economic numbers, and this is not a slam on Donald Trump. This is not even anything to do with Donald Trump. But there are problems with the US economy. The amount on the auto loan front. Back in the Great Recession of 2008, let me give you some numbers. In the Great Recession of 2008, there were 5.7 million people who were 90 days in arrears on their auto loans. Today, it's over 7 million. That's nothing to do with Donald Trump. That's personal responsibility. That's the everyday American people living way beyond their means. Now, what happens when those cars start getting repossessed? The market gets flooded. Demand goes down. What happens to companies? Companies start having to lay people off. They can't keep up. There's no demand there to to, to build and create new products. What happens then? You have the auto workers going and strike and they say, they, "It's a great economy, everything's awesome with this economy. We need more wages. Is that realistic? But when it comes to the banks, what is the way forward? Because what will happen is, and this is why I think there's a lot of sentiment that the left get right about banks. The idea of banking industry, their solutions are horrible, by the way, I'm not advocating their solutions, but there is a lot right when they say about their sentiment, the way banks operate. I'll never forget an example of Citibank, it several years ago. In the same quarter, they had two historic things happen. Historic layoffs and historic dividends and historic profits. How does that meld in your brain? Does that make economic sense to you? That the same quarter you have historic profits, you have historic layoffs? Is there some precedent there to say there is a few problems in the banking industry? These are conversations we badly need to start having. Because I have a feeling, and I've shared this with you over the last several months, bad things are about to happen. Some things do involve Donald Trump, not because he's created them or he just didn't fix these problems. I've said for the longest time, your federal debt... Is out of control and it's growing by a trillion dollars a year. You look around at some of the economic issues, whether it's, you know, amount of debt people have, whether it's in mortgages, whether it's in refinancing, whether it's in credit card debt, whether it's in college debt. People are living beyond their means in auto loans. The banking industry is not stable. What happens? These are questions we need to address really quickly. And I would say if you're a Donald Trump supporter, here's my advice if you're a Donald Trump supporter, these are questions you guys need to take the lead on more than people like me. I don't have a horse in the race. I'm here to talk to you about principles. But here's the thing. If I'm right, or even if there's a small chance I'm right about the economic problems that are coming, and this goes into 2020, does Donald Trump have more chance or less chance of getting elected? Because if I am right, or even let's say, even if you're sitting there going, go, you know, John, you're all been dramatic. You're been, it's just you're never Trumper again because you just don't like Donald Trump," which is not true. I've call a ball a ball and a strike a strike. I've always done that. But if let's say you think I'm been dramatic or I'm overplaying the hand, or you know you don't see things the way I do, and you say, "Yeah, there's a few problems, but not as bad as you do." What do you think the left are going to do with those few problems? This is my big fear is that all these problems start coming and the left start going, well, you know what the problem is? This is the problem. And they'll be right about the problem. And then they'll offer all these crazy solutions that are government centric. Let me give you an example. Auto loans. How do you fix the auto loan crisis? Is it government? Is there some government plan you can offer? Is there some government proposal, some rule or regulation you can solve this with? Or is it up to the free market to solve it? It's up to your people to solve it. Likewise with the banks. Is there some government plan that you think will get the banks to to not need money and then be efficient and run and a good and offer a good service? Or do you think it's up to the banks to solve these problems? But the problem is because government and has overarched and into society, its government is now an offer is on offer for a solution. Oh, we just need money. Let's go to the Federal Reserve. Should that be an option? I believe the answer is no, it shouldn't. You need to get back to the constitution of your state, of your government. The constitution where it says Article 1, Section 8, that is what you can do in DC. Everything else is left up to the states. And let the free market decide. And sadly, yes, this is part of the free market. Sometimes businesses fail. But I've used this example in the past. Sometimes businesses failing is not necessarily a bad thing. And I'll use a very small example. How we listen to music. Can you imagine if we said, you know what, no business should ever fail? We'd still have record players. Innovation is a good thing. Some businesses just have a life cycle. Records are really good, but guess what? It got replaced by the cassette. And then cassette was really good, but then guess what? It got replaced by the CD. And CDs were really good, but guess what? It got replaced by the iPod. Do we want those innovations or do we want to be able to say, you know what, the record player, the cassette player, the CD player, they should never go out of business. We should bail them out. Because ultimately what happens is some of the people, there's turnover of staff where if you were building and producing and creating records, you know, the vinyl, you got retrained and then you went and created cassettes. And then people who did that then went and made CDs. This is what happens sometimes bad things happen in the economy and that's okay we need to make these arguments to our fellow people where it's not like oh my god you're so horrible and you're so hateful you want business to go out of business well if there's no need for it yes if it's true innovation yes i do i want a better brighter tomorrow by the way why is it only people like me that are hateful for wanting for being okay with businesses going out of business did you ever hear any problems when Obama wanted to call down the coal mines? All those people out of a job, were they hateful? Oh, no, that, oh, you see, that's climate change. That's for the betterment of everyone. But business is good. We should want people to be successful. But we also have to understand when you're in a free market, good things happen and bad things happen. One of the reasons I love your country so much is the idea of opportunity, Emma Lazarus spoke about that in the Statue of Liberty, where you slammed Europe, where it was, give me your tired, your weak and your huddled masses yearning to be free. That they want an opportunity. Bring them here and I will give them that opportunity. You tell people they can't do it, which is a, a slam on Europe, but also on government. What do you want? Do you want to be in a system where it's rigged? Where the government decides success and failure? And you just have to hope you're in the right industry. Oh, well, I'm in the banking industry. The government will never let me fail. Great. Oh, well, I'm in the coal industry. The government hates me if it's a leftist. They'll let me fail. They'll put me on the poverty line. Or do you want the free market to decide? That is ultimately the question. Where do you want the power? In government or in the people? I want to finish up today's show by talking to you about the other story that was big in America this week. And we spoke about it briefly last week, but Greta, 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 Greta. Greta. But I don't want to talk to you about climate change per se. I want to talk to you about her. And I want to compare and contrast yet another reason why America is fundamentally different than the rest of the world. There's this idea of collectivization and individualism. Every other nation is built on the collective. Ultimately, whether it's Greta, whether it's a politician, whether it's a prime minister, society will always say, you need me to do the change. Oh, there's homelessness. You need me. I'll be your warrior. I'll be your champion. That's every other nation, Ireland, England, Sweden, Norway, Europe, Australia. We always need someone else. We need someone else to be our great warrior. That, you know, we'll help them. We'll encourage them. We'll inspire them. We'll give them power. They will fight for us. America is built on the principle of the exact opposite. America was built on the principle of individualism. You don't need anyone else to change the world. You can change it. You don't need a politician. You don't need Donald Trump to do something. You don't need Ted Cruz. You don't need Mike Lee. You don't need Lindsey Graham. You don't need Nancy Pelosi. You want to change the world? You do us. And even when things are the greatest obstacle, where you're thinking, you know what? You can't change it. Oh, there's this big obstacle. Like, I know people want to make Google the big bad boy at the minute. Now, I'm not saying Google are good. I'm concerned about Google but you have to understand American history that the great disruptors didn't come necessarily from their industry. Let me give you some examples. You know, people think, oh, well, how could you ever topple Google? You can't do that, John. You need government to stop Google. I, I disagree. I believe you need government to get out of the way. I believe you need free markets, but you can disrupt them by ideas. Let me prove it to you. You might think that the advantages all the printing presses had, that they would just control the industry so much that no one would ever disrupt it and become the market leader. You would be wrong by saying that. Because the printing presses didn't create Amazon. Amazon and Jeff Bezos created Amazon. You may think, you know, for all the power Hollywood has, that Hollywood would just control everything. Hollywood would just, they would take control of absolutely everything. They would control content, they would control distribution, they would control what you see. They would be the market leader. No, Hollywood, for all its wisdom, for all its power, for all its creativity, didn't create Netflix. You may think the auto industry has such a hold over America that it wouldn't, that it would create the coolest car, the car that everyone wants, even though this company never makes money, or sorry, never makes a profit. You would think the auto industry would hold that. Nope. Elon Musk and Tesla hold that honor because everyone wants a Tesla. Tesla. It's so cool. It's who wouldn't want? Who would? Who would say, "Hey, J- John, there's a Tesla outside. It's yours." Who would say no to that? It's awesome. I'd be like, "Hell yeah, I want, I want to drive a Tesla. I'd actually love to drive a Tesla. Never had that opportunity." But you'd be, "Yeah, hell yeah." But even let me give you another example that's closer to home. You would think for, you know, all the talk of fake news, of all the talk of how the mainstream media has has this hold over America, how they must be stopped, they must be regulated, they must be put out of business. You would think they dominate the news, that they're the great disruptors. No, the great disruptor was Glenn Beck and the Blaze. Hey, let's have this idea where we don't have to be necessarily on TV. Let's have it on the Internet. Let's have it on different social media platforms. That is what you have. They're the great disruptors. Google has issues. I'm not, I'm not saying, hey, Google is awesome and let's all buy Google shares and let's all use Google products. I'm not saying that. I believe Google is a problem. But how do you solve this? You can solve it. If you're listening out there and you've got this great idea uh, to compete with Google, but you're more open to privacy and you know, you're not going to track people, then go for it. You can be a great disruptor. You don't need anybody. But there's this idea that you need other people. That This idea where you're powerless. And so many people have bought into this victim mentality of saying, I I can't do it. I need someone to be a champion. I need someone to be this great warrior for me. That I need to have this great equalizer. And this has always been some form of government. When Greta spoke... ...at the United Nations this week. And I want to focus in on one of the sentences she said. And she's actually right with what she says. She's just wrong for the reasons. That's the sad thing. She got up in the United Nations. She was talking all about climate change. And one of her sentences was... ...you have stolen our dreams. And that if you don't act now, we will never forgive you. What's actually true is... ...her sentence about the UN stealing people's dreams... ...is actually factually accurate. The United Nations has killed many a dream... You know, whether it's the oil for food scandal with Kofi and Anne, you'd go through the history of the United Nations, how it's probably killed many Israeli people dreams. Because oh, we can't, you know, we'll condemn Israel and we'll have all these sanctions and all these condemnations of Israel. But when it comes to Palestinian kids, ah no, don't say anything. You know, all the Palestinian kids who know no better, who are just taught all this haste, there's no the UN does nothing to stop that. Oh, we we'll write a really nasty letter. Hmm. Whether it's the kids in North Korea, where they're brought up in absolute poverty, where they're brought up in situations where they have no hope for tomorrow. There is no dreams in North Korea. The dream is probably, hey, I don't want to get killed today. And the UN does what exactly? Oh, uh, we'll write a nasty letter telling him how angry we are and how inappropriate he acts. Yeah, like that's going to cause any change. So what she said about killing people's dreams is factually accurate. But she's wrong because she gave the example of climate change. She's talking about her people and her generation. Are you seriously telling me that you have bought into this? And here's the thing. How do you respond to that? There are many attributes we are missing in society. Humility been one, but empathy been another. I look at Greta and while it's easy to mock her, while it's easy to slam her, well, it's easy to say you're a 15-year-old kid who knows absolutely nothing. Sit down and shut up. I don't want to do that. I actually feel sorry for her. I feel great empathy for her because it's clear she is nothing more than a pawn. I don't get angry at her for what she says. I get angry for the people around her who have literally brainwashed this girl into thinking her dreams for tomorrow are, in the, are there is none. And how she gets so angry about pa- climate change. And how she has this great thing about uniting behind the science, even though the science is disputed. But even if you agree with everything she says, her solutions are always the same, the same that everyone else wants to talk about. We must act through government. We must get the UN to do something. We must compel others how to act. You talk about killing dreams. If you're compelling someone to act a certain way and you're killing people's jobs, what about their dreams? Why are their dreams not as important as your dreams? Because if we want to have a better and brighter tomorrow, here's what I believe. We need to start having empathy towards each other. We need to start having discussions towards each other. But we also need to start breaking down the walls of victimization where you are so convinced you need the United Nations to be the leader on this, where you're so convinced you need Donald Trump to be your leader, where you're so convinced you need your party to change things. You want the answer? And I know you're probably sick and tired of hearing this. The answer is the roadmap that you had in your constitution and your Bill of Rights. That is the roadmap to every problem you face right now. The idea of empowering the individual. Because all government does, and here's the sad truth, I don't care whether you're left or right, top or bottom, Irish, English, European, a big fan of the United Nations, it doesn't matter. All government does is take power. It will use any issue it can, whether it's climate change, whether it's poverty, you name the issue. If it feels it can take advantage of it to get more power for them, more money for them, more position for them. And hey, they get the benefit of, hey, look how awesome I am. I'm a servant. I just happen to get all this money and all this power for myself, but I'm not in it for me. I, I promise, I swear, I pinky promise swear, I'm in it to serve you. Well, when was the last time a servant compelled others how to live? that's not the role of a servant that's the role of a master we need to talk to people and have conversations and say look i know you're hurting right now and you firmly believe you're a victim and that you have no hope for tomorrow but it's not true you have a future you have one life in this world you may have 10 years you may have 20 years you may have 50 years you may have 100 years the age changes for and the number changes for all of us you have one opportunity You should dream big. If I may quote your founding fathers, you should do everything you can to pursue your happiness. You have opportunities in this world. In fact, if I may be blunt, if you're a young person, you have more opportunities than ever before. Look at the power you have in your phone. Look at all the advancements you guys have. If you're under the age of 20, I didn't have a cell phone growing up. I couldn't look at my phone and go on email and Facebook and Twitter. I couldn't listen to podcasts. I couldn't take selfies. Not that I take selfies now because who wants to see me? But you can take selfies. You can do anything you want. Technology has advanced so much. You can literally talk to someone across the world for free. You have cars. If you have a medical condition, you have so much advanced chance of being better. You have so much more treatment now. We're making incredible advancements. You can have this victimization of poor me, I can't do it. And yes, there are reasons. I'm not saying people who are saying poor me. Maybe they do have a gripe. It's very easy to believe it. I know I believed it for a while and I'm changing. I had this poor me attitude for a while. I can't get to America. I don't know whether I ever will, but I'm going to do everything I can in my power to get here. Here's the answer. Here's the question I would ask you to think about. If you have someone or you know someone who's down right now, how do you talk to them? Do you want to, is it healthy? Is it normal to say, hey, you're down, yeah, life sucks, and, you know, poor you, and you'll never do it, and yeah, life dealt you a bad hand, and yes, it's not fair, and yes, you have a gripe, and yes, you have a reason to be angry. Is that a healthy way to talk to someone? Or is it our job as humans, as Christians, to go, look, these are the facts, you've been dealt a bad hand, but what has happened doesn't necessarily have to define your future. That you can literally put a line under it and say, look, you know what? What's happened? All that bad stuff. And yes, I'm not saying bad stuff hasn't happened to you. I'm not saying that you haven't got a right to be aggrieved or upset or or even pissed off. Yes, you do. But that's that chapter of your life. Guess what? From now, you close that chapter. Right now in front of you is a blank piece of paper. Is that story of what happened to you going to continue over and you're going to achieve nothing? where you're going to be continuously defined by your past and it's going to skyrocket and snowball and keep getting worse and worse and worse and you're going to feel worse and worse about yourself? Or are you going to say, that bad thing happens. It ain't going to define me. We're going to have a better tomorrow and I'm going to start writing my new chapter. That is the conversation I would love to have with Greta. To actually ask, why do you believe your dreams have been crushed? Because if you believe it, it's baloney. Yes, you can be passionate about climate change. I'm not saying she should change your opinion. I'm not saying, hey, you know, she should change her crusade. But this idea that her dreams have been crushed and that she hasn't got hope for tomorrow is unhealthy. And anyone who says it's healthy needs to have a look at themselves in the mirror. We need to empower people. We need to encourage people and we need to inspire them. Because while I said about individuals, about you have it writing a new chapter and it's a blank page, it's the same for all of us. And it's the same for this world. We can have a brighter tomorrow. Everyone loves to say oh, all these problems and all the Democrats and all the left and all my friends on the left. go, Oh my God, Donald Trump's a Hitler and he's Nazi and oh my God, I can't cope and I need my safe space. We can be defined by all our issues or we can move forward. Because here's the one thing I would say to you, and this is my opinion, but I believe it in every fiber of my being. We face major problems. We spoke about some of them. Obesity, the economy, banks, auto workers going on strike, stock markets. We face a lot of issues. There is not one issue we face. You guys as Americans, me as an Irishman, and even though I hate saying this and I don't identify as as a European, yay, there is not one issue we face that we cannot solve. And yes, if you believe in climate change, I believe that. You can solve, if you're so worried about the climate change and the temperatures rising and and the sea levels rising, if you're really worried about that, you can solve it. You just don't solve it by government. You solve it through innovation. You solve it through free markets. You solve it by empowering the individual, not empowering some politician, some bureaucrat in DC or some bureaucrat in the United Nations. These are the answers and the discussions we need to start having. And I hope you'll join me as we continue having those discussions each and every week at Saturday at 12 noon Eastern. And I finish off this show the way we finish it off each and every week. By saluting the great heroes in society. Those men and women who are despised by many, who are spit on, who are insulted, who are hating on, because it's cool. We salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. This show will always stand with them. They will always be supported because I am so thankful for each and every one of them. There's a reason I get to speak to you. There's a reason I don't speak German and it's because of an American military veteran. That is why I'm so thankful for them. And I salute you, the great American people. The secret to your success, you're not great because of Donald Trump. You're not great because of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. America is fundamentally great because Americans, i.e. you, Americans are good, decent, humble, noble people. Until next Saturday, you have a beautiful and blessed week and God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.